announcement. The hemp revolution will not be televised. I repeat, the hemp revolution will not be televised. Welcome to the Hemp Revolution podcast, the global hotspot for the buzz and the cannabis. You can hear the stories of the green rush from the dreamers who are writing the rules, innovating the business, and changing history forever. Immerse yourself with the fascinating stories from the leaders in the hemp health revolution to learn how we are changing the game forever. Introducing your hosts, James Brinkerhoff and Sonia Gomez. Everybody, this is Sonia Gomez coming to you live from Denver, Colorado, and today we are talking to none other than David Klein, the inventor, the founder, the feverable kid treat inventor of the Jelly Belly Jelly Bean. He, like many, many others, are making their segue and making their mark into the CBD and hemp revolution. This is another rock star episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast, where we are exploring the adventures of the canopeneurs and pioneers who are pushing this movement and this mission forward to bring the truth about hemp and cannabis to your doorstep so that you can make empowered decisions about how you want to treat yourself, the people that you love and the conditions you may be suffering from. And if you are growing a business in this space, take notes because we are about to dive into some pretty sweet treats when it comes to growing your business. David, thanks so much for being with us today. That was the best introduction I've ever had in my life. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. I love that word. Can't, can't, can't. I love that. Can't, can't. I never really liked the word entrepreneur. I don't know why, but I like that canopreneur. Thank you. Well, I mean, this is a, it never fails me to hear incredible stories and people's transitions and, you know, the, the why behind the buy, like why did they buy into the CBD space? Why are they coming into the space? And there's usually some sort of incredible reason or story behind it. So what, before we dive into all of the cool things that you have done thus far to get to where you are, share with us a little bit about who you are, and your background and what you're doing in this space now. Awesome. Okay. All right. 1976, I had $800 to my name. No credit cards, not even a diner's club card back then. And with $800, I started the Jelly Belly Jelly Bean. I was the founder of Jelly Belly Jelly Beans. They're my favorite and things was, in the world. Um, thank you. It was an amazing ride. Uh, that lasted four years. The story behind it is available on our webpage, which is <laughs> spectrumconfections.com. Or it's available also for free on Amazon Prime, where it's been on there for a couple of years now. We're going to put all that, of the links. Netflix for a couple of years. Prior to that, it was on a documentary channel. Uh, it's appeared, our documentary Candyman, the David Klein story, has appeared in festivals, film festivals, since the year 2010, uh, all over the world. Uh, it was part of the hot docs 
which is a great documentary festival in Toronto once a year. It was in the film festival in Utah. It was in Israel. It was in France. It was in Italy. I, I mean, this thing was in Puerto Rico. It was everywhere. And it's had an audience of millions of people, and we're very proud of it. My son and his wife were involved with it, as well as a gentleman from New Zealand who worked on Lord of the Rings, Costa, Costa Botez, as well as Jennifer and Bert Klein, my son and his wife. Man, this is so incredible. So is Jelly Belly a family business, a family-owned and family-run business? or what, uh, what Jelly is Belly is owned by one man, uh, Herm Rowland. Uh, we have not been involved with them since the year 1980. Okay, okay. Actually, let me take that back. From 1980 to 2000, once a month they sent us a check. Would you consider that involvement? I mean, yes, but yes. not. <laughs> they don't. They don't. They think the last time I was involved with them was 1980. They forgot the 20 years they were paying us once a month. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, as long as they remember to send the check, they can forget everything else. It had nothing to do with else. me since 1980. <laughs> not exactly the truth, guys. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so what have you been doing now? Since I then, mean what I've been doing. I've been waiting 40 some odd years to get back into the jelly bean business. Can you imagine every morning of your life waking up and saying, I need to get back into the jelly bean business and you're unable to for 40 some odd years until just a few years ago when we came up with the idea of introducing CBD into jelly beans and we worked on the formula for over two years to finally perfect it. And we've been actually in the space. I like when people say the space. We've been in that space for, you know, the English call it range. Did you know that? No. Do you ever hear anybody from English talking about what your range is? Oh, yes. Uh, or also in South Africa, they use the same word. Probably uh, other places, too, that had English influence. Uh, yeah, we've been in the range for about the past six months, and we love this industry. We love this industry. Ask me why we love this industry. Why do you love this industry, David? We just do. <laughs> we really do. I'll tell you what we're getting tremendous gratification from. Obviously, we're not allowed to make any medical claims. Mm-hmm. Thank you, government. But we get calls from people all the time. Lady called me. She could not make a fist. She had a couple of our beans. Magic. A lady was in the doctor's office. They couldn't read her. Her blood pressure was off the chart. They couldn't even post. She went into the lady's room. She had a couple of our beans in her purse. She took them. She walked right out. They were able to take... This CBD has so many possible benefits. I'm sure you're much more... You've been in this space how long? 
So my husband and I have been in this space collaboratively, you know, or collectively for about 35 years. His entry, his entry into this space came from being a teenager. He grew up in Aspen, Colorado, all, all throughout Colorado. His family was in the oil and gas industry and he was sort of the black sheep of the family and was always preaching about organic gardening, you know, planetary sustainability, you know, eating healthy, so on and so forth, and really enjoyed using cannabis. Well, they, you know, were... Say no more. (laughs) They were not into it. And so he ended up leaving home really early, about 17, 18 years old, and going off to the Emerald Triangle to go to school and study with Paul Pitchford, who was one of the pioneers in holistic health and holistic medicine, and, you know, found himself fully immersed in the cannabis culture of Humboldt County and made his way building his business by, you know, acquiring real estate. I mean, really from the ground up started by, yeah, started by hauling bags of soil down thousand foot ravines to grow cannabis in the middle of the, you know, forest up there and worked his way up to to when uh, Prop 215 was passed in California in 96. And at that time, he started to develop artisan farms, five to 25 acres with houses, greenhouses. He put all of the SOPs and strains and, and helped families build sustainable business, cultivating wow. high quality product and help them distribute it for the best price. And so he was on the very much on the business side. My journey with cannabis started as a patient. I was in a near fatal sporting accident and that it triggered this whole syndrome in my body that was similar to watching somebody get electrocuted by a cattle prod. And even though I spent tens of thousands of dollars and hours with the medicals, with the traditional medical system, I was getting worse and worse. At the peak of my illness, I was missing three out of five days of school. I was a hundred pounds overweight using seven Uh. different medications and, you know, was really losing hope. And, you, you know, David, when, hear these stories when you when conceptually you think oh you poor thing like something's happening to you but the worst of it was not what was happening to me I I could sustain the pain and the depression but the hardest part was watching what it was doing to my family to have somebody sick you know in your environment all the time I can only imagine is just awful so Finally, we came in in contact with a holistic neurologist who introduced me to my endocannabinoid system, taught me about phytonutrients and and microdosing with hemp and cannabis derivatives and strain selection. And and within three months, I was off my medication, six months off all anti-inflammatories. And within nine months, I'd lost 97 pounds and became a public advocate for, you know, cannabis and hemp health. And, you know, I've had to battle the legal system, the medical system for my rights to safe access. And through that journey, got invited to the Department of Revenue here in Colorado, where I supported legislative development that would legalize cannabis. We owned and operated one of the first licensed businesses. And in the last two years, we've built a following of over 1 million people, impacted over 50 million around the world with our education. And we are committed to helping bring the truth to the surface so that entrepreneurs and patients alike can get connected, can collaborate, and we can really start to see the change that is possible with the growth of this industry. That's, that's so fantastic. 
It is. And it's most fantastic because I get to connect with folks like yourself who understand. I, I mean, I truly believe that you understand how to capture people's attention and keep them committed to a brand. I mean, what you did with jelly beans that, I mean, these little hand, I call, again, they're pocket treats, right? Everybody wants a handful in their pocket. And for me, it's like a micro dose of happiness when I have a handful of jelly beans in my pocket. Uh, but now like, you've done the same thing with CBD. How'd you make yeah, the exactly. And I'll tell you something. I've learned so much about the industry in the last six months. I didn't know what infused meant. Our beans, obviously, are infused, not sprayed on. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know milligrams. I didn't know any of that stuff. Each one of our beans is 10 milligrams. Mm -hmm. And we have three varieties. We have a, a thir Can you imagine 38 flavors and what it costs to store 38 flavors worth of flavors and colors? <laughs> uh, you I know, can your only average gummy bear is what, six, six seven flavors? Yeah. So we have 38 flavors assorted. We have 38 flavors sour, S-O-U-R, and mm -hmm. we have seven flavors sugar-free. Mm -hmm. so trying to hit every market. And we, we just feel so happy that we're in the CBD industry. We've had so much help from people that we can call day or night, ask them questions, and they're only happy to answer them. Well, what made you want to jump in? This is a far cry from, and you're coming from a generation where the stigma associated with, you know, hemp and cannabis was, was not a favorable one. So great, what, great, what was great it? Great question. We were in, actually, we were in Colorado almost three years ago. And we were staying at a hotel there. I believe it was Colorado Springs. And uh, Rebecca, my wife, fell down, took one of the nastiest falls you'd ever want to see in your life. Oh. And she was in tremendous pain. And we happened at that time to be going by one of the legal stores there. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know what? Let me go in there and see if I can find something that could help you. And I went in there, and she got... Uh, almost immediate relief it was an edible i believe they were cookies mm -hmm. don't remember the brand but thank you cookie company <laughs> yeah and as a matter of fact i remember her falling asleep almost immediately after eating that and then when we got back to florida where we live i said there's something to this even though i have never tried it before anything in that realm uh, we need to get involved with this and see how we can contribute our candy-making knowledge of 45 years to make the best gourmet edibles in the market. So we started with the jelly beans. We were the subject of 1,214 different articles in the press, including High Times, Cannabis Now, Fortune Magazine, Forbes magazine, Bloomberg, uh, every, everywhere. We were on television. We were on the news, CBS, NBC, Fox. Overnight, we 
we're nationwide. Not only are we nationwide now, we're selling our product worldwide. That's incredible. So it would just happened overnight for you guys. I mean, for uh, it was an overnight success that took forty some odd years. Yeah. <laughs> And it was yeah. that, so your, your exit out of, out of jelly bean, let me, let me just explain or understand that a little bit better. Did you have a non-compete when you sold the company or was, we what had a was 20, the, we had a, the contract to sell the company that I founded was in 1980. We had a 20 year non-compete clause, which never would have held up in court, by the way, you can't force somebody to not compete with you for 20 years. And because I signed it and I knew right from the beginning that I could have challenged it in any court of law, I held to the initial contract. Because I think people should hold, if they possibly can, to something that they sign. So that contract was up in the year 2000. And then we made other attempts to get back into the jelly bean business, which I love and through various things that are going to be in our next documentary we're working on Candyman returns people will be able to see what happened to me that kept me out of the industry for another 20 years so david we have a lot of people who are listening to this to this podcast right now who i call budding entrepreneurs people who are looking looking at the industry perhaps they have some success in working you know in a more traditional industry or maybe they've already made the transition into the cannabis or hemp movement and are looking to grow and scale regardless of where they are at whether they're considering their move in or already building their business everybody is faced with inevitable challenges in growing their business you have established a certain level of success in building building a company that a you were really passionate about that's i think is something that a lot of entrepreneurs miss is following a passion and a purpose and really and they aim for profits and i'm i'm really curious to hear from you what are some key things that that a canapreneur or a new budding entrepreneur should understand or should follow when they're starting or conceptualizing their business? That's a great question. That sounded like a four-part question, but it wasn't. <laughs> okay. It was more of an explanation. It was a great question. Okay. What I would do if I were starting in this industry over, mm-hmm. I mean, it was only six months ago, but here's what I would do. I would go to a place like Whole Foods, I'm sure you've been in Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Have you? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. And I would spend about two hours there. I would take a shopping cart so that nobody questioned what I was doing. <laughs> and I would go, okay. And I was I would go down aisle by aisle, literally stopping at every product that was there. And I would look at that product. Whole Foods probably at this moment does not have any items with CBD in it. Would you say that's correct? That are no. food? No, they have. They definitely have CBD products in it, but with with food? Not with food. They have it with. I was just going to say they have it in the nutritional section, right? And it's right, only exactly. in select right. locations. Okay, but I'm talking about food items. Yeah, no, not food items. 
I would look at all the food items there, whether it's ketchup, whatever it is, and I would say, what can we add CBD to that would improve this product? That would be the first thing I would do. I would come up with a very catchy name for the product. I would register the domain so that nobody else could claim that domain for that product. Probably could not get a federal trademark right now on any food product with CBD in it. So you'd have to wait for that. GW Pharmaceutical owns CBD. Yes, they do. We know that. And you know what? I don't understand that. I, there's a man that had hemp. He made hemp burgers. What's, it, what's his last name? Rose? Do you know him? Yeah. Richard Rose? Mm-hmm. He made hemp burgers years ago. They weren't the first one that put hemp that put hemp into a, an a CBD hemp into an edible. How did it? How did they get a patent on that? Can you tell me that? I can't tell you that, but the U.S. has had a patent on it. I think it's U.S. patent. I don't know. They've had a they've had a patent on it for a decade or so already, and on all ca uh, cannabinoids. Period. GW Pharmaceuticals patented CBD when they created Epidiolex, which is this watered down version of a pharmaceutical grade, quote unquote, CBD isolate that's specific for epilepsy. So there's all sorts of restrictions. And because, right. you know, there's all sorts of restrictions on what you can do. And I, I anticipate a pretty significant shift in what we are going to be able to say and do around labeling with quote unquote CBD. A right. lot of folks, we're advising that a lot of folks move towards calling it a full spectrum or broad spectrum or whatever it is that you have. Yeah, I've heard product. a lot of that. Yeah, we're, you know, relabeling the products so that it's not using CBD because let's be frank, the governing agencies are funded by big business and big pharma. That's where they're getting 80% of the Oh, you're resources. right. We have to look at reality and what it is, not what we want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. So there, you know, all you can do is stay ahead of the curve and it's going to be pretty, I was just talking about this in another interview, how that we're going to have the clash of the titans here pretty soon. And the industry is growing so quickly. We're self, right now we're self-governing. We're interpreting the, the, you know, parameters of the law right now. It's, there's no real guidelines that allow us to be in, in full compliance. And so we're having to self-govern. And it, you know, in some cases it's a mess and in other cases it's a really beautiful thing because we have an opportunity to change the way that things have been done, especially in big business. And, but as far as restriction goes, they can, they can pull the plug on us at any time, I believe. Yeah, I think everybody is aware of that. I don't think they will, but everybody is aware of that. Let me ask you a question, if I could. Do you consider tinctures edibles? Ooh, you know, the word tincture indicates that there is an alcohol base in it, in which case it turns it into a supplement rather than a, a or a remedy, rather than a, a nutritional supplement or revenue rather than an quote unquote edible. Once you remove it and how you use a liquid or a quote unquote dropper versus a tincture, droppers are not alcohol based. They are tend to be like oil or glycerin based. So you can administer them on top of the tongue rather than an alcohol based tincture, which is generally most beneficial if you use it under the tongue, like a, like a holistic remedy. So, gotcha. 
tincture more on the supplement side, whereas a glycerin based dropper would be considered an ingestible or edible, I think. Don't quote me on that. I, that's not from any like, you know. No, I'm not going to quote you on that, but you know much more about the industry. <laughs> well, I I've, I've sat in rooms. Oh, you've been in it a long time, but you know, a lot of people are in an industry and they have no idea what's going on. Yeah, they, they have no idea. And I don't, honestly, I don't think to the consumer that it really matters. We're putting, and I talk, I talk about this with companies all the time who are putting so much emphasis on how smart they are, how much they know. And to me that the humility that a, or how humble the consumer actually is. For me, the average consumer is like Homer and Marge Simpson, which is why I think a brand or product like yours is so incredible because it knows no age. It knows no boundaries. It's relevant and reliable to a little person all the way to a grandma and grandpa, right? This is something that you can find in every household and it would have it right. would feel and be comfortable and safe and not have this crazy stigma associated with it. Whereas all of this other stuff, most of the time when I'm interviewing folks, it's this battle of like, how smart do I sound? How much do I know? How much can I share? And right. people don't, they don't care if it's a tincture yeah. or a dropper. They don't care. They just want to, all they want to know is, is it going to work for me? Is this going to work? And why should I pick this over aspirin? So we, yeah. we have to I, keep the I explanation. explanation yeah, I totally simple. hear you on that. Uh, we're coming out with a, a new product uh, within the next couple of days. The hurricane kind of set us back a little bit. But you're still but, in your house. You're over yeah, there. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're right here. We were waiting for the interview. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to, that's my bragging rights for all of time now. Well, David yeah. Klein stayed behind to hang out he with John behind. Travolta and waiting for my interview. <laughs> yes. Which is true. Yeah, we're fine. We're fine. Thank you. We're really good. We're coming out with something called jelly bean, jelly bean juice. And it's going to be a liquid tincture. And they're going to be in flavors like the original jelly bellies that I created. We're going to have a black. Do you know, do you like black licorice? I'm not a huge fan of black licorice. I actually like, I like red licorice better. Gotta okay. be honest. Right, I gotta tell you something because out there, somebody listening loves black licorice. Yes. And if you love black licorice and you consume too much of it, it's my belief, and you can look this up, it's my belief that it can, can, not everybody, but it can rob your body of potassium. I know in one case where a young man consumed seven ounces of black licorice from New Zealand and had to be rushed to the hospital because he had very little potassium in his body. So if you're going to eat some black licorice, have a banana afterwards, please. But we're going to have black licorice. We're going to have buttered popcorn, all the old-time favorite jelly bean flavors that I, that I created. You know, my, I, I have to be honest about this and I don't know if my, my kid's going to kill me later for saying this and that's okay. Go ahead. She's two years old and we sat her down with one of those eggs full, like a, on Easter, we sat her down with an Easter egg full of jelly beans and she sat down on her grandma's couch, feet not even barely hitting the edge of the couch. 
and okay. she sat there in her big old fluffy dress and just picked every single booger flavored oh, um, wow. <laughs> jelly bean out. And I was, you know, some kids pick out the strawberries, some pick, kids pick out the oh, limes, that- some like the cherry. I always go for like the lemonade one, I think. Um, right. and, but she sat there and she picked out, and if the green one wasn't booger flavored, she'd spit it out. And, <laughs> oh, and so, oh, that's so cute. Oh, adorable. She picked out every booger flavor. Is there going to be a booger flavored jelly juice? Uh, you know what? Probably not. <laughs> but you know what? You never know. Uh, I have found out um, in my 45 years in this candy industry to keep an open mind as much as possible because you never really know what's going to work and what's not going to work. Yeah. And we just love the industry. We love, we're trying to come up with new edibles that have never been done before. And we're not just trying to copy what's been done before. And we just love this whole, the people in this business. We love the customers. It's a whole different industry than the regular candy industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. So, David, will you share with me a little bit about about the the journey of growing the, this incredible business? We we know that the CBD space, as amazing as it is, it also comes with its own unique set of challenges. No matter how big or small, or how significant or established or prepared an entrepreneur is when they come into this space, almost none of them are prepared to troubleshoot through the challenges that are only unique to this industry. For instance, banking, advertising, marketing. And I I understand that with your history, maybe some of these were not such a big challenge, but what were some of the, uh, some of the hiccups in your, in your years of preparation to make your entry back into this space? What were some of the challenges that you faced? Great, great question. The marketing was the easy part. Uh, we had, I called up, our first article was an, a Cannabis Now. Yeah. Our second was nice lady, very nice lady from High Times, Sharon, Sharon Letts. And they said, yeah, this sounds very interesting. You're the guy that founded Jelly Bellies. And I said, yes, I am. And they said, well, when can we do an interview? And I said, immediately. And then it just spread from there. So by me saying I'm the inventor of Jelly Bellies, and by the way, we have the legal right for anybody selling the product to say that that product was made by the man who was the founder of Jelly Bellies. Wow. Because it's true. I mean, that's the truth. But we had problems along the way. We had an Instagram account, which all of a sudden was suddenly removed without any notice. And that that was kind of traumatic. We had Federal Express tell us they didn't want our business anymore. And that was kind of traumatic. I mean, you know, what could have we had? We had all kinds of issues like that. But you know what? We're still here. We're still smiling. We found ways around it. And uh, we're very much in business. We've really expanded our business three times in the last couple months. 
we were back ordered. You wouldn't believe. We were at the point where we we were afraid to answer the phone, literally. In one day, we had 10,000 hits on the computer. Oh, my gosh. And not 5,000, but 10,000 hits. We're lucky the computer didn't crash. The phones were ringing even at 3 in the morning. And I, I every time I, I went by them, I picked them up. I said, Spectrum Confections, how can I help you? And they said, what are you doing answering the phone at 3 in the morning? I said, because I love talking to people and I love this business. <laughs> and the people thought I was crazy. They thought I was joking when I said I'm the man who invented Jelly Bellies. And how did you the- invent Jelly Bellies? Can you take me back into the lab? I mean, how did you come up with those little perfectly textured nuggets? Okay. I always loved jelly beans throughout my whole life. As I was going to law school, as I was walking on 6th Street, there was a store there by the name of Alan Wirtz Confections, right before you got to Vermont. You familiar at all with that area? Um, slightly, not as much as I'd like to be, but slightly. Okay, so I went in there and they had a $2 package of jelly beans and I bought them and I started eating them on my way to law school. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning. And I said to myself, you know, this is a product right here that's universally recognized. Everybody knows what a jelly bean is. Just like everybody knows what a gummy bear is. By the way, gummy bears are one of the best-selling edibles on the market. And our product can ship anywhere in the world without melting down because there's no gelatin in a jelly bean. Most people think there's a gelatin in a jelly bean. There's no gelatin in our jelly bean. And because we have 38 flavors and it can ship anywhere, uh, it's really a, a, a stand, it has a lot of advantages. So anyway, here I am eating the jelly beans and thinking to myself, someday, and not the far, too far distant future, and it was about four years later, I said, I'm gonna create a jelly bean. And then when I was talking to a buddy of mine on the phone, we were talking about business. It helps when you have a business that you're starting to talk to other people about what you're gonna be doing and run ideas off of each other. And I said, I think I'm gonna open up. Happy Days was on. It was a Thursday night at eight o'clock. Rebecca, my wife, was breastfeeding our youngster at La Leche League. And while I was watching Happy Days while she was gone, and I was talking to a buddy of mine, it was about 8.15 at night, and I said, I think I'm going to open up a jelly bean store. And he said, what do you mean, a jelly bean store? Nobody's ever done that before. I said, that's reason enough to do it. He said, are you going to be carrying jawbreakers, licorice ropes, things like that? I said, no, I don't think so. That would take away the uniqueness of it. I said, just a jelly bean store. So I came up with the name Jelly Belly 
uh, was inspired by Lead Belly. Lead Belly was a, a, a singer, and I heard his name once on Sanford and Son. They talked about Lead Belly, mm-hmm. and that name stuck in my Red Fox was on Sanford, the star of Sanford and Son. And that name stuck in my brain until I needed to come up the belly part, lead belly. And I later found out he went to jail. It was either for murder or attempted murder. So Jelly Belly was actually named, and the name was inspired by a man who went to jail for a long time, which I find kind of interesting. Uh, (laughs) Wait, where was I prior to that? What, What did you ask me? My question was, take me back oh. to the lab and how you and how you got okay. in, how did that how did Jelly Belly even come about? Okay, so I had to fi- find a store to sell them at. I was in the wholesale nut business back then. Uh, I started with walnuts, walnuts halves and pieces, twenty five pound cases, amber light, amber light walnuts halves and pieces. And for three months, I only had walnuts to sell. And then slowly but surely, I added almonds, or as they're pronounced in Chico, amonds. They pronounce them amonds there for some reason. You know anybody in Chico? And no. Okay. And then I started adding cashews. Do you know why you've never seen a cashew in a shell? Why? The sack has some kind of poison in it, so you cannot sell it in the shell. Whoa. So I, I that. Yeah, not, most people don't. Uh, so I started selling famous Amos, his pecans, or as he pronounces them, pecans. <laughs> and I started selling him for his chocolate chip cookies. I went into his first store which was at the corner of Sunset and Promosa. And I walked in and I said, who, who buys your pecans here? And they sent me into a, a man by the name of Sid Ross, whose wife I went to high school with, just out of random curiosity like that. And anyway, I said to, said to him, I would like to supply you with the best pecans in the whole world, out of the shell, 30-pound case from Nut Tree, and somewhere in Georgia. And he said, let me see a sample. Always when you're pitching somebody, have the product with you. Actually, it's best to bring in a whole case. When I went to farmer's market to show them the walnuts, I went to to the man there that owned the uh, the biggest candy store there, Carson. Carson Ross, that was my first sale actually. And I said to him, I've got fantastic walnuts. They're new crop. It's nice if you have new crop when you're showing the walnuts, especially if the price has gone down from the old crop. And the old crop walnuts were around $1.45 a pound. I was able to sell them the new crop because there was a huge, huge crop that year. Most people don't realize there's only one crop a year on nuts. And if there's a a big crop, the price comes down. I was able to sell him those at $0.98 a pound. 
He said, let me see them. So I brought them in. He was on 3rd Street, right across from Farmer's Market. Had a blue Jaguar in the back. Never forget that car. And he took a handful out of the box, and he brought, took them to his nose and sniffed them. He did a sniff test. He said, I'll take 100 pounds. And that was my first sale in the nut business. $98. Wow. And so that's how I started in the nut business. But when I came up with the idea for Jelly Bellies, I knew that it was too good of an idea not to go to go forth with. I didn't have enough money for a store. You know what? Anybody can make excuses that they didn't do it because they either didn't have enough money or enough time. I had to create this business on the side while I still kept my nut business open because I had people like Famous Amos that needed a, an order of 40 cases delivered once a week. And you can't just say to them, goodbye, I'm in the nut business, I'm in the jelly bean business. So while I was building up the jelly bean business, I still maintained my nut business. And I was selling a lot of candy stores, their nuts, because they were making, they were making candy with the nuts, fudge, Turtles. By the way, Turtles is a registered trademark, and everywhere you go that they're using the word Turtles, they're violating the federal trademark law. Uh, that's why you see a lot of companies, they don't call them Turtles, they'll call them something else. I could not give the Jelly Bellies away in the beginning. I brought them to my existing nut customers, and I showed them the product, and the very first question, even before they tasted it, I think I would taste something first before I asked how much they were, was how much are these? And I would say a dollar a pound. That was our price to the stores in the beginning. I was paying 59 cents a pound to my contract manufacturer. One day I called them up after the product got very successful and I said to them, it's time for you to go up 10 cents a pound. And my contract manufacturer said, say that one more time. I said, it's time for you to go up 10 cents a pound. And he said, in all the years I've been in business, nobody has ever asked me to go up in price. What's your angle here? And I said, there's no really angle. I'm making money on it. I want to make sure that you are. And he said, we have 40,000 pounds coming down to Southern California. That's where we were back in those days. Mm -hmm. We have 40,000 pounds coming down tomorrow on Crescent Truck Line. Do you want me to go up on those or do you want me to wait? I said, go up on those. It was an additional $4,000 that I paid on that one order. I said, by all means, go up tomorrow. There's no point of, I, I, I'm the one that asked for the price increase. Please do. What was your method behind, like, what was your reasoning behind that? Most people are trying to find a better deal. I didn't, I, I always believed in the opposite of what everybody else did. I believed that if they were happy, I would get price. You got to remember one thing. They made a hundred other items in their factory. I knew that someday I, I would be using all of their capacity 
I wanted to make sure that it was profitable for them to make this product versus other products that they were making in their factory. And I figured a dime a pound was a pretty good increase. So it wasn't just an altruistic point of view. I figured that if they made money on it, they would keep on producing the product. So you had the and foresight it, to be able to, you had that sort of, I, it's like a gut instinct that says, I, totally. I have to make this a, a win-win situation. So that absolutely, totally. Time. And absolutely, when I was in People Magazine, I had a feature article about me. It was the issue that had O.J. Simpson on the cover. That's now worth a lot of money, by the way, because of that. I bought 200 copies off the newsstand, and I have one left. So when I was in People Magazine, I was in a bathtub of jelly beans in the back of my truck that I deliver, delivered pecans and walnuts and almonds in. It was in South Almonte, California. It was over 105 degrees that day. I was in a bathing suit. The sweat from the jelly beans caused them to stick to the hair on my chest. <laughs> it was probably one of the most uncomfortable feelings I've ever had in my life. But you know what? There's some things you do in life that you don't like, but you do them. And when the owner of my contract manufacturer, who was called Herman Golitz back in those days, when he went to the newsstand along with his sales manager, Richard Schaefer, and picked up a copy of that People magazine article, he turned to Rich who, by the way, is a very good friend of mine even today. And he said to Rich, David has just ruined the company. He has just ruined the company by posing like this. <laughs> Half naked. <laughs> okay. You with me so far? I'm with you. I'm 100% with you. I ruined the company. My philosophy was, you got a full page written up in People Magazine, followed by another full page of a picture of yourself in a bathtub of jelly beans. That's not ruining the company. Anyway, he told him, here's what I need you to do tomorrow. And this was without telling me, by the way. By the way, very few people know this. I would say less than a handful. He told them, go ahead. They were making candy corn at the time, selling it at 28 cents a pound. He said, I want you tomorrow to call all the rebaggers. Rebaggers are people that take somebody else's product and they stick it in a, in a bag under their own name. Yeah. It's kind of probably equivalent to white label. Yes. Which I know you know. I do. I know Both you do. Well. <laughs> I know you do. So they went, his sales manager went out, started calling on people. 
Now, here's the story. The candy corn was made on the same mogul that the Jelly Belly was. You cannot make candy corn the same time you make the Jelly Belly. So they signed up without telling me any of this. I'm out there promoting the product on the Mike Douglas show, flying all over the country, AM Los Angeles, AM New York. I was on AM LA five times with Regis Philbin and Sarah Purcell and Cindy Garvey one time. Steve Garvey's the ball player's former wife. So I was not informed that I shouldn't be out there selling the product. Meanwhile, I make, I'm taking orders from everybody because of all the publicity I generated. And I'm wondering why the orders aren't being filled. It was probably one of the worst episodes of my life. Promising people product, not knowing why the factory is not making it. And then having those customers think that I'm favoring somebody else when I'm just literally taking them on the order that, the, that they came in. It was a terrible, terrible experience. And then based upon that experience, I decided in my mind I would never rely on a contract manufacturer again if I could help it. I don't know if you've ever seen cookie and cream malt balls or mint cookie and cream malt balls. Have yeah. you? Yep. I created that product. I called up the company and I over the phone and I said, I want you to make for me a new malt ball. In those days, I never did anything with contracts with anybody. I, I trusted people. Yeah. So I never really did anything with contracts. We're talking about the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s. Yeah. So I called a company that made the malt balls. And I said, I want you guys to make me a cookie and cream malt ball. I want it made with Oreo cookies. And I want a mint cookie and cream malt ball. And you guys can market them. I want to market them myself. But every pound... I want 17 cents a pound royalty. And the owner said, the sales manager said, sounds great. We're going to do it. It was a sales manager. And every month I got a check from them. Every single month I got a check, 17 cents a pound. One month I didn't get anything. So I figured, you know, they were late paying. They didn't have the money. Who knows? Second month, nothing. Nothing in the mail. Third month, I decided to call them. And I said to him, I did not get a check this month. What's going on? Well, you're not going to get it anymore. Okay? How do you figure that? He said, well, the man you made the deal with is not here anymore. I said, okay. The man that I made a deal with is not there anymore. You signed the check wasn't him. He said, that has nothing to do with it. You're not going to get a penny anymore. So it was that lesson plus the jelly belly lesson. I decided we needed to control our own destiny, if at all possible.
So all the people out there that are thinking about having somebody make the product, either have it in writing with them in the form of a contract, spend a, spend a thousand bucks if you have to, to an attorney or whatever it's going to run. An attorney probably won't do it for a thousand, probably fifteen hundred, and have that thing in a, in a contract because if the product gets very, very successful, nothing's really preventing them from one going up in price to you and saying that their costs have gone up. The union, the unions had a strike there and they had to pay higher union wages. There are a million excuses to raise prices. So that, that's a very valuable lesson that I learned the hard way. I absolutely love that you just went into the detail around that because it's, it's hard for somebody like me who sits on the peripheral but advises through the challenges to articulate the importance of managing or stabilizing your supply chain. I mean, owning the process from soil to sale is your ideal situation to be a, a fully vertical integrated company. But a lot of entrepreneurs are not in the space where they can invest that heavily in each one of the facets of their business to make it of run course. that way. So what are some of, so ideal situation is having a contractual agreement with a manufacturer that you can trust to deliver the quality and quantity of product when you need it. So very nicely said. That That's really important. Another thing, if they're trying to establish a product, come up with a name that's a catchy name that hopefully doesn't have, you don't want it to have 10 names in it, unless it's like, gee, your hair smells delicious or something like, like that. Have it preferably two words like jelly belly. And it would be nice if it rhymed. And a name that you can get a domain on is very important. A name that's also available on Instagram. I Have you heard of Instagram kicking other people off? I have heard of Instagram kicking other people off. I have heard yeah, of Yeah, but that. they don't kick everybody off. What's their criteria for kicking somebody off? I don't know. I wish I did know that because it's quite random. Same thing with Facebook. It's like, they're like, and I don't mean to be sexist at all, but they're like women who are PMSing. They're, they, they just have mood swings and all of a sudden you're exiled and then you have to go through this whole crazy appeal process. And wow. it's, it's, it's oh. a frustrating. <laughs> have you not, have you known anybody to get back in with them? Yeah, you know, that's actually one of the areas. So we did not start, we're actually still not an agency. We have turned into an advisory group and have developed a program called the Emerald Circle Mastermind, which is a, an annual membership that companies can pay to get access to tools, resources, relationships. And my husband and I have taken it upon ourselves with our years in the industry to pull together our network so that when companies are trying to find reputable sources for, you know, whatever, biomass or um, you know, contract manufacturing or, or whatever it is, we have a network of people who have established experience 
reputation, you know, are trustworthy in the marketplace and are not just in it for the profits, but are actually there to like help people get into a, a flow with their companies. Um, mm. So through this process. I love that. I really, really love that. You know, we got a call from somebody. I won't tell you where they were or their name, but in talking to them, I told this person, I said, we're not profit motivated to the extent. Obviously, you have to make money to stay in business. But yeah. I said, that's not the main reason we started this business. And they said, well, I'm not that way. I, I'm in it for the money. And I said, you know what? I'm going to have to hang up on you right now. I don't really <laughs> want to do business with you. And yeah. so I, I, I turned down something that would have probably been a huge sale. I don't want to do business with people that are that way. I don't either. And it's, it's difficult, you know, when, especially it, it, you know, money has to be here. Here's my thing about, about, um, income. It's a direct reflection of the impact that you're able to make and how much, how much leverage you have when bringing value into the marketplace determines the amount of impact that you're able to make and will also be, the, the law of reciprocation or reciprocity that the universe operates by will arrive in the form of income. And it will be a bonus to see the ripple effect of your work that will come with positive reinforcement behind the paycheck. And most, most people that are getting into business, think about the money first. They have their fancy uh -huh. business plans, they have their profit margins, their P&L sure. sheets, they know where all of the you know the logistics of this, but there's no soul to the company anymore. And so you when I- You said it so, so rightly, so right. I never believed in any of that, any, in any business I started. I figured if I gave the best service, if I gave the best product, if I worked seven, eight days a week, which I had to do in the beginning, mm -hmm. if I did all that, the money would eventually flow. I, I you know, I, I have to 100% agree with you. And I, so the way that we talk about, about money and, you know, the profitability of your company and how to, how to achieve these certain milestones, um, you know, number one is starting with and this is just to give you insight. I mean, I've learned, I'm over here like scratching out notes because the important, the wisdom that comes with your experience and how you're telling your stories and, you know, it's these little details. And there's three things I'm really taking away from what you're sharing right now, David. And number one is relationships. I say this all the time. How you do one thing is how you do everything. Earning trust, getting trust is a gift the first time. But once you compromise the trust, it's nearly impossible to get it back. It plants. Now, you'll never get it back. Yeah, it will never come back. It, you never get it back. You may find forgiveness in it, but the, but to have that purity of the relationship as it was in the first handshake will never recover once the trust has been compromised. So how you do one thing is how you do everything. And being an absolute integrity on your own behalf, on behalf of your kids, your company, whatever it is, being an integrity and in how you do one thing in a handshake deal, whether or not you have a signature on a page is you know, going to determine a lot around your success. People, people will know who you are and how you are right away based off of, you know, how you end up doing things. So 
and, and this business especially, the history of cannabis business is all relationships based. You got to know a guy. You got to know a guy to get your stuff. You got to know a guy to, to know where to buy it. All, you got to know somebody, right? Yes. If any of that's missing, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And you can, you, it, you can't, this is not something that you can buy your way into and have longevity. There really has to be a passion behind and a purpose behind the profits that you're aiming to make. So in anyways, in the Emerald Circle Mastermind, David, we created it because we knew that there were far too many businesses out there that, you know, what we call budding entrepreneurs who are trying to find their foothold in this industry and were losing their shirts to, you know, bullshit artists, contract manufacturers who weren't, you know, who were falsifying reports or, you know, Uh. just doing things out of integrity. And it compromised the reputation of the industry as a whole. And not everybody's in a position where they can, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have. No one's in a position to lose precious resources, not when you're trying to make the impact, right? Absolutely. So we created the Emerald Circle to give people a safe place to come around and network and get access to those key relationships. And it's been brilliant. Really, really... What's, your, what's your website? So theemeraldcircle.com. That's simple enough. I like that. Yeah, thank you. And That's you know, a great domain. Don't lose that domain. We will not lose that domain. It's been really well, cool. Always renew that domain when it comes up for renewal. We will. It's been, it's been a really cool experience, you know, because again, what I was saying was we didn't start out as an advisory company. We didn't start out as we're not, we're still not an agency, but because we have the captivated audience, this huge consumer audience and and marketing and advertising has been such a challenge for the people in this industry. We started to vet out these companies to make sure that they were operating at at a level that we could get behind and we started to f- discover that even if we did send them, you know, a million clicks or a thousand clicks or whatever, they didn't have what they needed in place to receive that kind of traffic or exposure. So we started to get them, you know, the, you need a sales funnel or a website or a domain or whatever it was that they right. needed to fully benefit from what we had to offer to share with them, you know, we started to put those things in place and it just naturally evolved. And I, I share with my members all the time, come to the table, wondering how to solve a problem instead of how to get the profits. If you, if you follow, if you, can you, can you put that somewhere on the wall where everybody can look at that once a day? (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. I'm serious. Yeah, I I am um, I'm gonna put it on a T-shirt. Is put it on a T-shirt and send them a T-shirt. I'm gonna send you one too because mine is two XL, like, by the way. <laughs> it sounds like we have a lot in common about around the mentality. You know, I I say this all: you cannot buy your way into success. Eventually, no. there'll be too many holes in the fabric for you to fall through if you if you operate outside of this. And so, the things that I share with them is have a passion and have a purpose and the profits will come from those things. Be socially and economically responsible to your community and to your family, because that's where legacy is created. No matter how much money you make, the legacy that you leave behind will show in the way that your children and grandchildren duplicate the, your results. And oh, then- I love, I love that. We started a uh, division of our company called Candyman. Cares, 
Candyman, I'm the Candyman, mm-hmm. CARES, C-A-R-E-S. And our purpose behind that is to give back to people that really, really need our help. How do we get involved with Candyman CARES? Uh, more details will be coming in the next two to three weeks. Okay, awesome. I wanted, I wanted to share this with you um, because we, we created a similar thing. We, so we have two facets of our business now. For the longest time, we didn't even monetize our education. We just were giving it to the communities because we knew there was such a gap. And um, then just last, last fall, we launched the Leaf Academy, which created a certification program for people to understand how to select and use um, CBD and cannabis-based products to improve their health and functionality. Um, wow. And we created a natural health coach certification around it. And we've had just the most incredible success from our, from our certified um, folks and, and a couple of nonprofits popped up in my, in my scope um, that are rehabilitating nonviolent offenders who have been put into jail for cannabis or hemp related offenses. And they're not, they have felony charges and are trying to rehabilitate themselves into their communities. And so we started to donate these licenses and education and business training to these nonviolent offenders who are coming out of the prison system and trying to integrate back into society. And so to date, we've made a $100,000 donation to a few different of these organizations. And I'll tell you, the thank you letters that I'm getting from these folks who just need a chance, who need an offer, just like you said, people who need our help, they, sometimes somebody just needs to know that somebody's willing to help them right? You just need a chance in life. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'll give you an example of who we are going to help. Where we live, about a half a mile away, is a man who lives in the woods. And I've talked to him so many times. I've wanted to get him an apartment, get a, a motel for him. I wanted to, he's in the woods. He lives in the woods in a tent. Is it by choice? How long has he been there? Over 10 years. Is it by choice that he stays there? Is there something happening for him? Hard to say. Very hard to say. But you know what? During a hurricane, a man like this should not have to be in the elements like that. Yeah. And so you're, so you're going to start to work with the, um, let's call well, it. But... Well, he was, thro- he's been thrown off of property after property because whoever owns the property doesn't want him there anymore. So we are looking at another piece of property where once he's on that, nobody will ever kick him off. Oh, so you're giving a place for these folks to belong. Yeah. That's yeah, so we sweet. Are. We are. That's- People have to do things like that. It just has to be done or otherwise nobody will do it. Yeah. I, I always encourage folks and I'm like, my heart is just totally full and in my conversation with you, like I'm completely lost track of time. I'm hoping that I'm being respectful of yours because I'm just enjoying the company and, and being in, being in your good company, it's not too often that I get to speak to established entrepreneurs who will A, you know, take the time, B, share the wisdom and learning lessons of their growth. 
right, so freely and at the same time have, you know, you just, you have this very comforting, I feel like I'm sitting in my grandpa's living room right now. Ah, like, that's, that's so nice. So you have a little bit more time to tell you a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, about yeah. What happened with Jelly Belly? Yes. Okay, one day I got a phone call. And on the other end was the owner of Herman Gullitz, my contract manufacturer. And he said to me, Dave, I'm flying down there tomorrow. We were in Southern California. He was in uh, Oakland at the time. And I said, fine, I'll meet you at the airport. Which airport are you... Are you flying in at Burbank or LAX? He said, Dave, it's not that kind of a meeting. And I said, okay. I said, what kind of a meeting is it? He said, we're coming down there to buy the federal trademark, and we're not going to leave until we do. For Jelly Belly? Yeah. <gasps> Because that's what the only thing we owned was the trademark. He made the product for us. And I said to him, okay. So they came down. He probably had 12 people with him. President, vice president, accountant, lawyer, anybody that he could find. And it was just me and my partner. It's kind of like a David versus Goliath type thing. Yeah. And... They had made it known prior to the meeting, one of the people that was I was close to at the at his place, I said, what happens if we don't sell to you guys when you come down? And he told me that if we didn't sell, that they were going to go back to Oakland, change the name from Jelly Belly to another name, cut me off, cut me out of the picture completely, never make another bean for me. And they knew that by the time it got to court, they knew I would have sued them, obviously, because even though we didn't have a contract, we had a contract by, by action. And they knew I would, would have sued them. They said I would have been broke. by the time it got to court, which is so sad how long it takes to get to court. I hope you never had the experience of having to get to federal court. I, I hope I never have that experience either, but I'll tell you what, I have this awful, this taught me my, my learning lesson well enough. I was renting, it was the first time I was moving in with my boyfriend because I was much more conservative than many of my friends. I didn't want to move in until I was engaged. And we're moving into this place. We lived there for a year. The landlord was just awful. And mm. when we decided to move out, like he raised our, when we went to renew our, our lease to stay there, he raised, he raised the rent a thousand dollars. So we were a like, month? okay, 
A thousand dollars a month? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I know. Who in their right mind does that? I know. So we were like, okay, we're just going to move out. And so we moved out and on the, we had 24 hours still to get out. I had left like some items in the kitchen and I had left some, you know, just random stuff in, in the house to go and clean out the next day before the cleaning ladies were coming in. And he had come in in that 24 hour period, changed the locks, locked everything down demolished the kitchen, taken pictures and submit in 24 hours and submitted it to court and sued us, sued us saying that we left the house in ill repair and destroyed private property. What a creep. Such a creep. So he sued us for $15,000. It's still on my credit. It's like the most incredible thing ever. And I, so I told my husband, I'm like, I never, I'm like mortified, right? I never want to do anything that gets me sued again. And he was over there wearing like, he was like a badge of pride. He's like, you know, every on every successful entrepreneurs get sued three times in their career. This is I would say minimum of three. (laughs) We had a situation similar to that. Uh, when I created the uh, Jelly Belly, founded the Jelly Belly, mm-hmm. we were living in a rented home, $300 a month in Temple City on Sparklet Avenue. And after Jelly Belly came along, uh, we had a little son, Bert, who went on to be the producer or director. I always get mixed up the producer, director, I don't know, of uh, Candyman. And so... My wife said, you know, we really, and I knew the, the man that owned the, the home would spring for it. So I said, let's just put it in. So we put in carpet. And then, you know how you put carpet in and you need drapes because of the carpet? Yeah. <laughs> so we put in, we put in, at our own expense, we put in drapes. And then she said, you know, the kitchen linoleum needs an update. So we did that. And then we did an update in the bathroom. In those days, we probably spent between eight and ten thousand dollars. The landlord came into our house one day, and he looked around. He said, "You've done miraculous things here. This is fantastic." He had the nerve to call me the next day and said, "You know, the place looked too nice for three hundred dollars." He went up to 350. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and then when we moved, he called me up. He said, you know, you did some damage to my raspberry, raspberry uh, bushes or whatever they are, plants. I don't know what they are. He said, I, I think you're going to have to send me some money. And I said, how much are you looking for? He said, $50. And then I said to him, I don't know if you realized it or not, but we put a whole new carpet in, all new drapes, all new linoleum, all kind, at our expense. I said, I think we're about equal. And he, he didn't know what to say. And I said, have a good day. <laughs> so we've had similar experiences with landlords. You know, it just never fails. And, and I think this is a... It, this is a semi, so I, I want to, before we, before we close, I want to hear how that meeting went when everybody came down from the manufacturer and you decided you knew you needed to, to control the supply chain. Was that the point where you got pushed out and had to sell yeah. your company? Yeah. Here's what happened. We were sitting around a table, huge table. 
and Herm, who still owns 100% of the business, brought a big chart out, and he was hiding the, the, the front part of it, and he said, Dave, how much money do you think I have invested business-wise in Jelly Belly as of this moment? So I gave him a figure, and then he turned the poster board around. I was winning $5,000 of the figure that was on there. Wow. And he said, pretty good. I said, I, I know what you've invested in this, Herm, but I've invested day and night traveling all around the country, not being able to spend time with my kids, my family, staying at strange hotels around the country, flying, which I hate doing. All this has been to promote the Jelly Belly name. And anyway, what they came up with was the craziest plan anybody in their right mind could even come up with. They kept things at the status quo of paying us what we were making at that point in terms of future royalties with no growth ahead. There was a cap at 120,000 pounds per month at 17 cents a pound. And once that point was reached, which would be at probably at the fourth or fifth day of production, the rest of the month was all theirs. And my hands were tied at that moment. A lot of people said, why didn't you go? somewhere else and have them make the bean for you. At that point, there were only two or three other manufacturers that were capable of supplying me with a quality. If you have one product, you can't suddenly substitute a lower quality product. And there was nobody at that time that had the technology or the capabilities of supplying. See, when I requested my parameters for making the product. I wanted one to be flavored on the inside as well as the shell because I wanted to do something differently. And that's, that's a good point to anybody out there. Don't just copy a product. If you want a product, change the product to the better. Don't just copy a product and be a me too. So I wanted the shell on the outside. Like we had the watermelon bean, it was two colors, green and red. I wanted two flavors if possible, two different colors if possible. I wanted all that to make, to be different, to be differentiated from all the other ones. So we could not turn to anybody else to make the product. We could have walked out of there and see if that they were bluffing about cutting us off, they certainly didn't not look like they were bluffing. <laughs> so uh, we sold out to them uh, with a 20-year non-compete clause, which is totally ridiculous. As a matter of fact, 
I've been advised by attorneys that the 20-year non-compete clause was illegal. And it went to the heart of the whole contract. All I can tell you is it was not a good experience. One minute I was Mr. Jelly Belly, and the next I went from somebody to nobody in 10 seconds. And then after we sold out to them, my signature was on the back of the beans. They changed my signature to a computer-generated signature. They didn't even want my real signature on there. So that, that little signature on each one of the beans is not yours anymore? No, on the bag, on the bag of beans. Oh, on the bag. Yeah. They took my signature off and put a computer-generated signature on that. Hmm. The whole thing wasn't, was not good. And then for 40 some odd years, I wanted to get back in the business. And anything they could do to prevent me from get, getting back in the business, they did. Mm. So now Which you're was, back in. Right. Now you're back in each, I mean, I can, I've been looking around for, because there's a lot of people interested in my network in creating an infused jelly bean, whether it's for cannabis or hemp. And we haven't been able to find one that isn't totally gouging on the prices. And I'm, I'm just so, so tell me a little bit about the jelly bean. You said each bean is 10 milligrams. Are you using each one of our that we are so proud of that we make, by the way, in very small batches mm -hmm. to ensure consistency of third party testing. Mm -hmm. We don't make like 100,000 pounds like gummy bears do. Mm -hmm. And each, each one is 10 milligrams made with Kentucky hemp. And we're very loyal to our supplier. Not a day goes by that somebody tries to give us a better price than, they, than they're charging us. And we're trying to be loyal because they took a shot with us in the beginning. That's amazing. I love it. So where, where now can they can, and, and I, we're going to post all of your links and everything around here for, for the documentaries as well as websites and all of the things. But I want to just hear you say, where can people find your, yes. Okay. They can go to their local CBD store. We sell a lot of CBD stores that are generally putting 10 of our beans in a package, in a container. And the average price is $20, which is $2 a bean, which is a very fair price. So they can go to their local CBD stores and request request that and we also have a web website spectrumconfections.com confection with an s at the end they can watch our documentary there and if they so desire uh, they can buy a bucket of our of our beans there are 800 beans per bucket, 
which is quite a bit. But we decided we've had so much business. We're really catering to the to the uh, to the market where people buy them to either white label or to sell. So you are doing a white label. Yes. Yes. Oh, we we're going to talk, we, David. We have got work to do in this life together. I'm telling you what. We have Wonderful. got work to do in this. Okay, so I'm Wonderful. so excited. So to that's where we're at now. We love the industry, and it so sounds like you do also. I do. And we're, we're, we know that growth is going to happen. We know there's going to be bumps along the road. But you know what? We're prepared to do whatever we need to do to get over the bumps. I absolutely love it. Well, in closing here, any final any final words you have for the audience before I go into, into our closing statements? I usually tell people that people thank me for taking the time to talk to them. I say it's been totally my pleasure. Everything that I do, every moment I wake up, it's been my pleasure to talk to people and to try to help them. Net never making any medical claims along the way, but to try to give them the benefit of what I think our product, you know what I say to them? I say the worst that can happen to you taking our product is you'll have some very good tasting jelly beans. <laughs> <laughs> we make no guarantees. Everybody's body is different, but that's the worst that can happen to you. And we're just trying to be good people, good citizens, and we're just trying to always, you can never rest on your product or your product line. We're trying to come out with other innovative products. We're trying to always improve our products. And we, you can't stand still in this industry. You've got to keep on moving, otherwise you're going to be run over. Spoken like a true king. <clears throat> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And it's also my pleasure to be able to share this incredible time with you and, and to hear your journey and story of, of everything that you've gone through to build just the mainstream business and how you're entering into this space is, is absolutely incredible. I can't wait to do some more work with you. Now that I know that you are white labeling and you're doing bulk orders, you you and I are going to become very close friends. I'm so excited about it. Sounds good. Make every day a good one. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. So just in closing here, um, for those of you who have tuned into the Hemp Revolution podcast, this is an incredible opportunity for you guys to do some of that deep dive and self-exploration on why you do what you do, for whom you do it. it. When you're considering how you are growing your business, I want you to focus on who you are serving, what problems do they have, what are you serving them with, and how will that help give them and provide the solution that they are looking for? When do you want to bring your product to market, or when do you want to run that next promotion, and how do you want to do that? How do you want to bring it into, into the eye of the consumer? Are you going to do that digitally? Are you going to do that on the ground? How are you going to be building your company? And most important, the governing rule of all things is why. 
what is your passion? What is your purpose? And why do you want to continue to serve people at the highest level with your products and services? Understanding these formulas and understanding each one of these facets of your company will help you to, to streamline the way that you grow. And remember, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Check us out at theemeraldcircle.com if you want more information on how you can enter into or grow and scale your business sustainably and quickly in the cannabis and hemp movement. If you are a patient looking for products, check us out, check us out at the medicalsecrets.com website. I'm your host, Sonia Gomez, and this is The Hemp Revolution. We'll see you on our next show. Thanks for listening to another rock star episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Gomez. And just for you, we took notes on this episode along with the links and other resources mentioned inside of today's show. Get them for free right now by going to the emeraldcircle.com. Now, if you want more on this, please subscribe to the show on Apple podcast or wherever you like to listen, and you will be automatically entered in to our monthly giveaway where you can get swag bags, all kinds of cool gifts and discounts from our guests and exclusive offers that are only mentioned right here in the Hemp Revolution podcast. I can't wait for you to share this with your friends. With your help, we've been able to impact millions of people's lives around the world with the truth about hemp and cannabis. And we know that you love us so much that you're going to leave a review and rate us right now on your favorite platform to absorb content just like this. Now, we challenge you to dream big and love the life that you live. Thanks so much. And we hope to see you on our next episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast. Ciao for now.